outline. There's not fill in the blanks, but I'll tell you more about that in a few minutes. But take out that outline, if you will, and, and notice that there's a pen sitting in one of those little pockets in front of you, so you're invited to grab a pen. We are one of those note-taking churches where we, our hope is that you're going to learn something you didn't know today, and most importantly, maybe write down something that God spoke to you today. Hopefully, you've got your Bible, or maybe your iPad or your iPhone. We're going to be reading God's Word this morning. And if you've got your Bible app, remember, we're on version, okay? And many of you are really loving version. So you're very welcome to uh, plug into that version Bible app. And our notes are right there uh, once you look in the events uh, section. Now, um, today we're closing down our series. Now, this has been a cool series. I've had a lot of you guys tell me how much you love this series. It's called The God Questions. And we've been asking really big God questions all along during every week. And I've even been, remember, I've been taking your questions all during this series, and I've been answering about three of them inside of every message And then I told you at the very end, I'm going to answer all of your questions, right? So it's been an awesome series. I just want to remind you of a couple of things. Number one, this series is available always. All of our stuff is available online at our website or on iTunes. So you can not only, if you miss a week, you can not only plug back in and listen and learn and be a part of that worship with us, but you can tell somebody else about that that God question that might have been asked at that time. Some of those questions um, that we, we, remember that you've asked, are going to be inside those messages. Now, this week, my hope was to have finished a complete document and have it available on our website, ready for you to be able to see all the questions. I mean, some people asked some great questions, questions about God and prayer and, and, um, and suffering and evil, like we've talked about, things I couldn't even get to in my message. They've, they've asked about um, uh, family relatives that have passed away, lots of stuff. And so um, I didn't get to finish the the document because I had a little bit of sickness this week, but on Monday or Tuesday of this week, I will finish it. And here's what I want you to know. Um, If you are subscribed to our e-newsletter, all you got to do is go to our website and hit subscribe. You can subscribe to our e-newsletter and an announcement will come in your box with a link and it will log you right into that document where all of those questions are there. It's a long document. You guys ask a lot of questions, and when I try to answer your questions, I don't give them lip service. I really try to answer those questions biblically and, and well, and, and I even give you possibly some more reading on any given subject. So, um, so when you get that, um, pay attention to it, because there's probably a question on there that you've had that you didn't drop in the box, but somebody else did, all right? Now, today, as we close down this series, we're asking a big question, right? We're asking about... What happens when this life is over and the next life comes? I I love sports. I'm an athlete, um, and I I love everything about athletics. Some of you guys are athletes. Some of you guys are raising many athletes. I want you to think about that for a minute. Those folks who are athletes, they work hard towards a prize, okay? They really do. Blood, sweat, tears, prayer, they work from, from, you know, day one, spring practices, whatever it looks like for them, all the way, and there's a goal in the end. You know, if if, if it's football, if it's NCAA, the goal is that you would play in the NCAA championship. Or if it's, for example, in the NFL, one day you'd play in the Super Bowl, and that would be the great reward for all that work that you've done. For others, it, it might be, you know, the World Series if it was baseball, or the Stanley Cup if it was hockey. There's, there's a prize at the end of it. Well, guys, think about this for you and for me. The greatest prize that far outweighs the NCAA championship, I promise you, or the Super Bowl, or or the World Series, it's far greater than that. The first day that you're in heaven, we're going to talk about that today. What will that be 
like. You know the good news is? The Bible has a lot to say about that place we call heaven. And we're going to read some great scripture today, and we're going to do some studying. And uh, the Bible also has a lot to say about that place called hell. And so today we're asking the question, what will heaven be like? We've invited some other folks to answer that question. Let's see what they had to say, and that'll get our brains rolling and our imaginations cooking. I'd like to think that our souls go somewhere else because there's still so much to experience in this life and who knows what could be beyond. And I think maybe you, you live on in other people's memories and that's, that seems pretty good. Um, some people think we go to heaven. I personally believe that when we die, we come back in a uh, new form, but our spirits carry on on this earth. Your lack of existence allows the existence of other people. All this stuff, I don't know. I don't, know. I don't have any guesses. Um, it kind of seems like it's probably just donezo. That's it. I, I guess that would depend on what kind of life you live. Um, I think we're all given the chance to enter into heaven. I think we go somewhere, for sure. I think something happens. I think there's an afterlife. you have your Bibles, I'm going to be reading, I believe, the longest single passage of Scripture that I've read at one time since I began preaching as a teenager, all right? This week, we're going to read a couple of the finer, final chapters of Revelation, and I'm going to read them start to finish all in one segment, and then we're going to break it apart, okay? Now, for most of us, hopefully you've heard at least portions of these Scriptures before, so they should sound vaguely familiar. For, the, for others of us, we might be hearing it for the very first time. Or for other, others of us, we might be very familiar with this passage. But this passage tells us a vision of what is to come. Now, you've probably heard already. Here, here's the good news of the Bible. Planet Earth will be replaced, and there will be a new heaven and a new earth. What will that look like? So today I'm going to invite you, even as I read the Scripture, to put on your spiritual imagination cap, okay? And begin to hear this vision, a prophetic vision that was given to John, the best friend of Jesus, before the end of his life. And to maybe try to hear with new ears. Hear with curiosity like a child. You know how children, you ever read a story to them, and they are just on the edge of their seat listening, and it's like they're hearing it for the very first time? I invite you to listen to Revelation chapter 21 and 22 as we hear about that new heaven and new earth. The Bible says this in Revelation 21. Oh, by the way, if you have your pen, I'm going to get you to underline some things as we go because I'm going to come back to those things. That would be very helpful, okay? So Revelation chapter 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. That's John speaking. And you would want to underline a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I want to underline that. No longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, underline the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. Underline that last sentence there, God's dwelling place is now among the people. And he will dwell with them. 
They will be His people and God Himself will be with them and will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. You wouldn't want to underline that entire sentence. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. And then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all this. Underline those last seven words. Those who are victorious will inherit this. And I will be their God and they will be my children. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters and the liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues came and he said to me, come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the Spirit to a mountain great and high. Underline that, a mountain great and high. And showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. It shone with the glory of God, and its brilliance was like that of a very precious jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with twelve gates and with twelve angels at the gates. And on the gates were written the names of the twelve tribes of Israel. And there were three gates on the east and three on the north and three on the south and three on the west. And the wall of the city had twelve foundations. And on them were the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. The angel who talked with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city, its gates, and its walls. The city was laid out like a square, as long as it was wide. You might want to underline that. Like a square, as long as it was wide. He measured the city with the rod and found it to be 12,000 stadia in length and as wide and high as it is long. And the angel measured the wall using human measurement, and it was 144 cubits thick. The wall was made of jasper and the city of pure gold, as pure as glass. And the foundations of the city walls were decorated with every kind of precious stone. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth ruby, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth turquoise, the eleventh jacinth, and the twelfth amethyst. The twelve gates were twelve pearls, and each gate made of a single pearl. And the great street of the city was of gold, as pure as transparent glass. And I did not see a temple in the city, because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God is giving it light, and the Lamb is its lamp. 
The nations will walk by its light and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. And on no day will its gates ever be shut for there will be no night there and the glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure will enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Just the first few verses of Revelation chapter 22. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God. Underline that, as clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. And down the middle of the great street of the city. And on each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. You might want to underline that. The leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city. And His servants will serve Him. They will see His face and His name will be on their foreheads and there will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun for the Lord God will give them light and they will reign forever and ever. (laughs) They will reign forever and ever. Now, today as I just answer that question with you, what will heaven be like? Let me tell you, It's so big, it's so grand that it takes our imagination, all right? And so I'm going to to invite you to imagine some things. But let me also tell you this. You already know probably that Revelation is a book full of figurative language. So some of the things that we may be reading may be figurative. They may actually point to something a little different. But here's what I want to share with you today. I'm going to take this almost as a literal reading because John certainly saw something And he wrote it down like he wanted us to understand it literally. I mean, the angel, it was like God assigned an angel to go with him with a measuring rod to measure it in human components so that we would get a picture of it, all right? And can I just tell you, I've been a Christ follower since I was 11 years old, and I've heard a lot of sermons, but I don't think I've hardly ever heard a sermon like God called me to preach to you today about what heaven is really going to be like. So I I just invite you to imagine with me, to think about what it would be like, and hopefully some of your preconceived notions will be broken, and you'll start to dream the God dream of what he's been preparing for us, the Bible says, since the foundations of the world. So an angel gave John a tour. Let's take that tour together. The first place, right at the very beginning, Revelation chapter 21. Where we start is that there will be a new heaven. The Bible says there will be a new heaven and a new earth. So notice this, that the present heaven, and think, think, think when I say that, sky of our earth, but also way beyond that, cosmic space, what we kind of consider the heavens beyond us right now, that all will pass away. As a matter of fact, the Bible says this earth will burn up. So there will be a new heaven and a new earth. The present heavens and the present earth will pass away. And the habitation of humans will primarily be in a single city. That's different, isn't it? That's a lot different from how we live today. The habitation, according to Revelation chapter 21, will be that God's children all live in a single city, and that city is called the New 
Jerusalem. So let's start also with the new earth. The new earth. This new earth and this new city will be nothing short of amazing. It will be opulent. You read the description. It, everything that is, it is built out of that city will be made out of precious metals and precious jewels. And it, it, even the foundations of all the architecture will be magnificent. Uh, it will be fit, this city and this earth will be fit for a king of kings. Have you ever walked into a place before, maybe a cathedral? I, I remember when I went to a, a, one of my first large cathedrals, I mean major cathedrals in the, in the city of, of London, England. I just Have you ever walked into a place before and you just stopped and you went, whoa, you ever seen that before? This week, I went to one of our largest churches here in Atlanta, and it's, it was actually a cathedral. And I went into the cathedral, and the stained glass was so beautiful. The wood across the ceiling was so gorgeous. And I walked in with a team of about 25 other clergy. And together, when we walked in, we didn't even walk forward. Which, by the way, preachers normally walk all the way straight to the pulpit. But no, we all stood in the back. And we were always like, wow, this is gorgeous. Can I just tell you that as much as I'm going to describe for you in the next 30 minutes or so, can I just tell you that when you... You experience your first day in heaven, it's going to be a whoa, wow moment. This new earth is going to be more than amazing. This city will also house the very throne of God. And there will be a new earth. And it will be a restored, recreated place. It will be the image of God restoring us back to what He made in the beginning. Now, for some folks, that will surprise them to say, heaven, your experience of heaven will actually be living on the new earth. You see, most of us only think that when, when this life is over, we will live in this ethereal place called heaven. But did you know that the actual more literal description of what heaven is, is that there will be a new heaven and a new earth, and you will live on the new earth? That's what the Bible says. So what does that earth look like? That's what we're going to talk about because it's right there in that scripture. But before we get to that full earth, that new earth, let's think about the new Jerusalem. Now the new Jerusalem, the Bible says, will be 12,000 stadia, high and long and wide. It will, remember that scripture says it's like a square. It is as long as it is wide. And then right behind that, it, it even said it is, uh, it is as wide and high as it is long. So what is 12,000 stadia? 12,000 stadia would measure in the days of the Apostle John to be about 1,400 miles. You might want to write that down, maybe even write down that scripture. 12,000 stadia is 1,400 miles, 1,400 miles in length, in width, and in height. That's what the stadia is. So when you think about, watch this, watch, watch, watch. When you think about a new city called Jerusalem, the new Jerusalem, you can't think about a place like Atlanta that's just a city and it's flat, okay? You need to understand that this city that God's bringing is 12,000, the city, 12,000 miles, I'm sorry, 1,400, 12,000 stadia, 1,400 miles wide and long and high. What will that look like? I mean, it, it goes high. It's the city and it will have multi-layers to it. Dream with me, if you will, all right? You see that picture in the Bible? It isn't flat. It is 12, 1,400, 12,000 stadia, 1,400 miles. What is that, by the way? 
If you pictured the Appalachian Mountains all the way to the Mojave Desert, that's about 1,400 miles. If you pictured Canada all the way down to Mexico, that's about 1,400 miles. But now you've got to go 1,400 miles north. This is the city, okay? Will it be a cube? Is that how it works? Maybe. But a better app description, most theologians think, it will be somewhat like a pyramid. Like a, the city will be this massive pyramid with the throne of God flowing. The river of God flowing th- from the throne. Just imagine. That's what we're going to do the whole time we're together, okay? Just imagine. It says it's 12,000 stadia. Now, 1,400 by 1,400 by 1,400, this way, that way, and that way, how big is that? Well, just in the foundation alone, just on the base of this, of this New Jerusalem alone, it is, it is 40 times the size of England. It is 10 size the times of uh, the size of Germany or France, and that's just the ground level, okay? And then if you were able to take like a penthouse, now we're just going to imagine, if you're able to take a story up 12 foot at a time, 12 foot at a time until you finally arrived all the way, different stories, all the way to the top of 1,400 miles, you would have something next to about 600,000 stories. Mathematicians say that billions of people could dwell in a city this size and yet still have a couple of miles all to themselves. So, this is very interesting. If it were a high-rise, what would that look like, you know? And one thing's for sure. The Bible's pointing to a city where it's not crowded, but it's together. You're not separated. There's enough togetherness for community. So you'll be with God's family and God's children. But there's enough space that you'll experience some privacy. Now, whether we take this figuratively or we take it literal, one thing we can understand here is that God's plan for heaven is that on this earth, there will be one massive city. And this one massive city is where you will live. And you will have community. And you'll have privacy. We don't know exactly what that will look like. But it will be a massive city. Somebody wrote in a question. And I told you, every week I answer three questions. Remember that? Um, So today I'm going to answer one question right here. And then the very end of my message, I'm going to answer two more questions. Somebody wrote this question down. Is there a third heaven? Now, Some of you would go, what in the world does that question mean? If you have your Bibles, I would invite you to turn with me, if you will, to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. We're not going to put it on the screens this morning. But 2 Corinthians chapter 12, um, the Bible, Paul is writing, and he talks about a moment where he was transported to the third heaven. And that's what this person is asking. They're trying to, uh, what is that about? What is the third heaven? 2 Corinthians chapter 12, the first few verses, Paul says this, I'm... I must go on boasting. Although there is nothing to be gained, I will go on to visions of revelations from the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Scholars, by the way, think Paul is referencing himself at his conversion, right after his conversion, and he's not really wanting to boast, so he doesn't talk about himself. He says, I know of a man 14 years ago referencing his conversion, but we're not sure exactly who this man was. Caught up, he I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was called up to the third heaven. That's what this person's asking about. What is the third heaven? Is there a third heaven? Well, if the Bible says there's a third heaven, there's a third heaven. We'll imagine that in just a minute. But 
Uh, read it on. Whether it was in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man, whether in the body or apart from the body, um, he was caught up to paradise. He heard inexpressible things, things that a man is not permitted to tell. I will boast about a man like that, but I will not, will not boast about myself except about my weaknesses. So let me explain that question real quickly because it's a great question. Now, I've just described to you in the New Jerusalem a city that is massive, wide and long and high, all right? So it could be that we use that understanding, that there's a third level of that massive city, you know, and there could be fifth and 20 and 100,000 levels of that massive city. Who knows? But that could mean that third heaven. But more than likely, listen, here's the answer to the question. More than likely, he is referencing that word heaven that was used in Genesis. You see, in the book of Genesis, and we talked about this a few weeks ago, we talked about creation versus evolution. In the book of Genesis, when the author of Genesis uses the word heaven, it's the same word used in chapter one, I'm sorry, verse one, as it is later on when he's talking about First of all, the heavens beyond our earth, the space out there, the cosmos, that's, that's used the, the, one of the words for heaven. But then when God creates, remember the, the earth was formless, and then he created our atmosphere, the sky, the air, the pressure, when he created all that, that same word is used as heaven. Paul would have known that. Paul would have known that if he was trying to share about being transported, he could talk about being out of body and going up, and then going past the first heaven, even into the second heaven, the cosmic, but beyond even cosmic space, I went into the third heaven. He would be probably giving a vision of going into the place that God was creating for us in the future. That's probably, scholars believe that's what he really meant, the heaven that God is preparing since the foundation of the world. Now, do we know for sure? No. One day I think we will, but right now we don't. So we're talking about the new Jerusalem. Let's, take, let's think about another part of this beautiful new earth that God's given to us. The Bible says there will be a river of life. So one of the, one of the city's geographical, uh, unique, scenic features is this beautiful, wonderful thing called the river of life. The, the, this verse in Revelation chapter 21 describes it as this, clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God. So the Lamb... The lamb occupies the throne of God. And the, the picture is that the river would flow from underneath the throne and it would begin to course throughout that city. So the river flows from the throne of God. Now what's interesting is you and I know this. We even referred to it a few weeks ago. Again, when we were talking about the creation story, water is life. God knew this. He knew providing water is a symbol and an image, but it's a reality of life. You have to have water to live. So in this new city, water is a major feature. And this is a major river. And it would have tributaries flowing all over the place. But one of the, one of the pictures that I get, I think about great cities in our nation who have wonderful water spots and the people gather there. I mean, if you've ever been to San Antonio, for example, and you just sit there and eat on the riverfront, it's an awesome place. Maybe, maybe you've been before to, uh, I went to Cincinnati and the river is just flowing right through the city, and it's on that place where they built the ballparks, and they did all this other stuff, because it's a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful image. Or maybe you've been to Spokane, Washington, and you know how the river runs through Spokane. The rivers in these places, even like my hometown in Augusta, Georgia, people have built river walks, and they gather, and they congregate around the river because it's beautiful. This is one of the scenic things in heaven, the river of life. And by the way, 
if there is a river flowing from the throne of God, one of the things we should imagine is that this new earth that God has created for us is not flat. I mean, rivers don't flow across flatness. Rivers flow across hills and valleys. You know what I mean? And so the idea here is rivers would flow, this river would flow downward from the throne, heading throughout this new earth and through this new city of Jerusalem. And here's the cool thing. Imagine with me. Anyone who wants to visit the throne of God need only to follow the river upstream because the Bible says the river flows from the throne of God. Another scenic wonder is what the Bible describes in Revelation 21 as the tree of life. It is stunning. This tree stands along both sides of a river, whether it's connected with its roots underneath the river or whether it is connected in connection even over the river. It, it, even, it even could be so big that it is spawning other tree systems out from it. But here's what I want you to understand. In this tree, this, this tree of life, nothing on planet Earth right now can compare to this, all right? Um, Anybody ever been to the Redwood Forest? Just raise up your hand real quickly. Those of you, you've seen the biggest, some of the biggest trees on the planet, right? Can I just tell you this makes that look miniature? The tree of life, watch this. Wednesday night when I was here with our Bible study on Purposely Plugged In, awesome Wednesday night studies we've been doing, and we were, we were referencing how Genesis talked about, remember, the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Remember that? Did you know that three times in the book of Genesis, the tree of life is mentioned, but four times in the book of Revelation, the tree of life is mentioned? This is the same tree. This tree has been growing and spawning. The picture is even literally replanted or, or, or put in a different place for a period that it would grow and grow and grow and grow and grow. And that it, watch this, what did, what did it say? It said, the scripture said, the leaves of this tree will bring healing for the nations. All the hurt we've done to each other. How is that going to happen? I don't even know. All the hurt that we have done to one another, even with our warring factions, all of the people across planet Earth who have trusted in Jesus Christ, the, the leaves of this tree, this tree will be a source of life for those people, and the leaves of this tree will bring healing to the nations. That's the picture of this tree. I wanted to read this from Ezekiel, another prophetic vision of this tree of life that gives you a picture of what this will look like. In Ezekiel 47, 12, it says this, fruit trees of all kinds will grow on both banks of the river. Their leaves will not wither, nor will their fruit fail. Every month they will bear fruit. So cool, because this lines right up with, with what John would later on see in the Revelation. Every month they will bear fruit because the water from the sanctuary flows to them. Their fruit will serve for food and their leaves for healing. Ezekiel said this prophetically 2,000 years almost before John would get this same revelation of seeing it in heaven. So this is the picture of the tree of life. Now also, I would invite you to think about the country. Because the Bible points in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 14 and 16. You might want to write that down. Hebrews 11, 14 and 16 paints a picture of heaven, the new earth being a place where there is countryside. It won't just be a big city. It won't just be a place where everybody lives. There will actually be spacious outdoors. That's good news to some of you because you don't like the city, all right? You like the country, all right? And so there will be, there will be wonderful, wonderful spacious outdoors. And, and I, I, somebody, read it, somebody wrote it this way. The ecology 
of the countryside will be as magnificent as the architecture of the city inside the New Jerusalem. So just imagine for a minute with me what the country would look like. The Bible says there's mountains in that country. Remember, the the Bible says that the angel took John up on top of a mountain. It says a mountain great and high was the way the book of Revelation put it. A mountain great and high. You know what that tells me? That this new earth has mountains because it's not the mountain. He took me up on the only mountain. He let me look down. No, that's not what it says. So there are mountains. There are slopes. There are peaks to climb. This new earth has a place where there are probably from those mountains lakes and waterfalls and meadows. And so there are recreational opportunities in this place like you would not believe. And how cool is that, right? Recreational opportunities for this recreated new earth that God has given to us. The Bible says something about seas. Did you remember that? The Bible says there was no longer any sea. Did you pick that up? Well, the first time I read that, I thought, wait a minute now, come on. I like the beach. I'm a beach guy, okay? Help me out here. There's going to no longer be any sea? And what about the ocean? Here's what I want you to grasp. Get this picture for a minute. Originally, God made the seas and the oceans, and He called it good. Period. God's plan intentionally was to put water on the earth that we would enjoy. But the curse of sin had a devastating effect on our planet. So think with me about the curse of sin and how it affected the waters, how it affected the weather systems, how it affected our earth so drastically. You know, in an ancient culture, when they spoke about the ocean of the sea, they did not speak about the ocean of the sea with fondness. The ocean of the sea was death to them. The ocean of the sea to them was cold. It was dark. It was dangerous. It was a place of death. And that's because of the curse. Did you realize, have you ever imagined, just imagine with me for a minute, have you ever imagined how much the earth had to change because of the curse of sin? How trees weren't meant to die and flowers weren't meant to die? Have you ever imagined how, for example, that in the moment of the curse of sin, that bacteria, microscopic organisms became harmful to our oceans and our lakes and our seas? Have you ever crossed your mind that God had to make our waters salty? so that it would combat the great microscopic organisms that cause death and harm and detriment to plant life and animal life? I mean, if there wasn't salt in some of our water, we would be living in a human cesspool around the world. And what I'm telling you is that the picture here is that the curse of sin hurt this world so bad that in the new earth, It won't be like that. So the imagination is not so much that there won't be great water because there will be great water, we believe. But the imagination is, what if the oceans were no longer filled with salt water? What if they were drinkable water from start to finish? What if you could swim anywhere you wanted to swim? What if there was no nasty water? What if everything was there to be enjoyed by you? What if that's what it looked like? What if this home place in all of its water and its mountains and its rivers and its cities and its country had been created just for you. See, that's another thing I would tell you. This place is your new home. It's home. The Bible says in several different places that while we are on this earth, we feel like strangers and aliens in a foreign land. Have you ever read that before? 
the Bible says that there is something inside of us that says this is not my home while we are here. But can I tell you that Revelation 21 and 22, when you experience this, it will be home to you. In your heart, your heart will confirm that you are home. You will never want to ever leave because this will be the most home place for you that you've ever experienced. And that inner longing that you have will finally be met. Uh, One scholar put it like this, when Columbus and his men landed on, on the new land they had found, they walked off of their ship They looked around at the grand beauty, and together they bowed down, and they kissed the ground together. For them, it was home. It was something that nobody else had. It was for them. Guys, this is the picture of what your home will look like. But not only that, and I love to proclaim this every time I preach a funeral, maybe most of all, it's presence. In this place, the Bible says, Revelation 21 and 22, that God will be there and He will be their God and He will be their people. Can you just imagine? By the way, that is the proclamation right at the very beginning of Revelation 21 of an angel. The angel says, God's dwelling place, look, it's now with people. This is not ethereal. This is not, oh, we're, we're thinking and still having to live by faith. You will see God. You will see Jesus. You will experience the presence of your Savior, and here's the cool thing. His work will be to begin personal ministry with every one of us for our own healing. So those of you who have experienced so much pain and hurt and struggle and heartache, He will be your Savior. He will meet with us one-on-one and begin a personal ministry to us. The Bible says this, there will be no more death, no more mourning, no more crying. This will be the new reality that you will live in. Imagine it. Just imagine it. You will experience the full presence of God. No more faith needed. What about your bodies? What kind of bodies will we have? Well, here's my question for you. Have you ever dreamed of an extreme makeover before? You ever done that? This is that moment, okay? You are going to have an extreme makeover. You will receive a resurrection body. Now, here's what you need to understand. Unlike probably what you've imagined, you're not, you know, if you're a, if you're a female, you're not going to look like, you know, Brooke Shields or some other beautiful woman. Necessarily. You're going to look a lot like yourself, but a better self, okay? Better you, all right? Hey, men, we are not going to look like Fabio. Thank God, right? Right? No. We are going to be a better version of ourselves. And how do I know that? Well, Jesus, remember when he came back in his resurrected body? The, you remember what happened? It's so cool. When Jesus came back, God in his great economy and in his plan let women be the first one to meet Jesus. And Mary met Jesus. And do you remember at first she didn't recognize him? And then she did. Have you ever gone to a high school reunion? I'm about to talk to old people. Can I talk to the old people for a minute? You ever gone to a high school reunion and you're like, oh, looking around the room and you're like, you know that person looks familiar and you're like, who is that? I don't know who they are. You don't want to look. So you just kind of do these little glancing things, you know? And then all of a sudden you go, oh, that is, that is, that's Johnny. And you go. Now you're looking at that person. You're thinking, most of the time you're thinking, 
oh, you used to look a lot better than you look now, you know, but that's you, you know, and you're recognizing that person, this is the idea in heaven, but flipped around, okay? So you may not recognize right away, but then you will. So you're, you're, listen, your heavenly body will look something like your regular body so that you can see your family members and know one another, and, but it will look better. Jeff, you might even have hair again. <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking on you, Jeff. You know I love you. All right, so, so the idea is your body. Now watch this. Your, 1 Corinthians 15, resurrection chapter. Remember I tell you there's certain chapters that kind of get known by certain names? Resurrection chapter. Let's read about the body. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, I'm going to read out of uh, verse 41 and 44. The sun has one kind of splendor, the moon another, and the stars another. And the stars differ from star in splendor. So will it be with the resurrection of the dead. What he's saying is that the splendor of Joe's body, the splendor of Mandy's body, the splendor of our bodies will be like the stars. They'll be beautiful all in of themselves, but they will be different, a different splendor for each one. He says, the body that is sown is perishable. It is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. This new body will be raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. Now it is raised in power. It is sown as a natural body. It is raised as a spiritual body. This new body that you have you will be do, able to do things you couldn't do before, but you will do some things that you already do. So, for example, you will eat. Do you remember Jesus ate? All right? And the Bible talks about us eating. You will eat. But here's a cool thing he did. He walked through walls. I'm looking forward to that one, okay? You can walk through walls. That's kind of cool. What's that going to be like? I don't exactly know. Your bodies. How about this one? Your housing. Where are you going to live? This is a cool one, all right? Imagine with me for a minute, where are you going to live? Have you ever dreamed of a new home? You ever wanted a new home? You ever tired of your home you're living in? All right? You ever dreamed of a new home? The Bible says in John 14, chapter 2, my father, this is Jesus' words, my father's house has many rooms. That room word is used for uh, the worm. Same word in the Greek is used as mansions, is used as dwelling places. We don't know exactly what it's going to look like, but my father's house has many rooms. I am going there to prepare a place for you. So imagine when you arrive to heaven, getting a personal tour from your Savior of your new home that he has created for you. Can you imagine what it's like to enter into your dwelling place? You know what we're not told? We're not told whether they're by themselves or they might be grouped together. By the way, some people like to have their home on a little bit more property, and some people like to have their home right there close to others. And here's what I know. I know this home will be suited to you. It'll be the most suited to you home you've ever had, filling all of your desires. This will be your new dwelling place. Let's talk about time. See, I've always thought, when I was growing up, I thought about heaven like beyond time. Okay, earth's time ended, and now heaven starts. And it's just going to be timeless, right? But the Bible actually uses timing terminology when it refers to what heaven's going to be like. Even, the, even that scripture we read before, the fruit bears its, its, its uh, the tree bears its fruit in, in, in month after month, right? And so th- these words like the coming ages, remember that word, the coming ages, and, and I will be with you to the end of time. Jesus is giving us these pictures. The Bible even refers to in heaven there being Sabbaths, days where we just take rests and we take break. So there, there must be some type of understanding of time in heaven. I don't know what it looks like, but I know this. In heaven, there will be greater assignments and there will be greater responsibilities and there will be meaningful activity to do in these seasons of time in heaven. What about food? 
What about food? You ever worried that your stomach is going to be useless? Jesus said, we will eat and drink in the kingdom. Remember that? And he said, I am looking forward to eating and drinking with you in the kingdom. So the Bible, here's the, here's the idea. The Bible says, the one, to the one who is victorious, I will give the right to eat of the tree of life. So there's eating going on. Now, here's what I want you to imagine. Imagine food with no pestilence. Imagine food in a world where there's great weather seasons all the time, Fred. There's no more hurricanes. There's no more. It's always great. You ever had a farmer? You ever listen to a farmer say, man, the tomatoes came in right this year. All that rain we've had. Can you? It's that kind of thing, but it's that kind of thing all the time. So imagine fruits and vegetables in the, in the place where there's no pestilence and there's wonderful weather. Man, it's going to be good eating. How about animals? Okay, now this part's for the animal lovers. Donna Foster in here somewhere. I don't know. Donna Foster, the biggest animal lover I've ever met. All right. Donna Foster and other animal lovers, this part is for you. So listen to this. Let me read for you from Isaiah. Isaiah gives us a passage of what the animals are going to look like in heaven from Isaiah chapter 11. The wolf will live with the lamb and the leopard will lie down with the goat and the calf and the lion and the yearling together and a little child is going to lead them. I need to stop here. If you weren't here for the creation evolution message, you need to go back and listen to that. But God's intention is not that we be killing animals and having to eat animals and the animals start eating each other. God's intention was a lot different and he's going to put the world back in order. And the wolf will be with the lamb and they won't eat each other because they'll be eating other things. And a child will walk around with these things. Imagine. Imagine. I was... I love when I get to preach these messages early, and I'm reading all week long all this, all this prophetic scripture, and I'm, reading, and I'm just thinking, what is it going to be like to sit next to a tiger and put my hand in his mouth and go, what's that going to look like, you know? It says, the cow will feed with the bear, and their young will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like an ox, and the infant will play near the cobra's den, and the young child will put its hand in the viper's nest. It's this image of nothing is here to harm you anymore. Nothing is here. You can enjoy all the wonderful creatures, the creatures of God. Stephen, that didn't mention cats and dogs. That makes me mad. You know, just imagine if there's cats, I mean, if there's cows. Wait a minute. Do cats get to heaven? I think there'll be cats in heaven. I know there'll be dogs. I'm just kidding. Just kidding. Okay, so what about, what about angels? By the way, I ran across, I wish I had time, but I ran a wonderful scripture in Psalm chapter 36 that said all the beasts that God has created will be preserved. Beautiful promise of scripture. Um, angels. Have you ever dreamed when this life is over that you were going to become an angel with the wings? You won't. All right? You are never going to be an angel. Okay? I don't care what It's a Wonderful Life told you. You will never become an angel. Okay? It's not the way it works. All right? God didn't make you to be an angel. And so you, the, did you know that the Bible says the angels will be present with us, but that in some mysterious way, we will be superior to them. One book of the Bible even says we will judge the angels. What will that be like? What about marriage? Marriage. Jesus said in Matthew 22, listen to what Jesus said. Jesus said, at the resurrection, people will neither marry nor be given in marriage they will be like the angels in heaven. He's talking about in relationship with me. And so the idea here is that instead of being married to someone, we will all be married to the Lamb. We will all be together, His bride. 
and he will be our groom. It's the image that every one of us are in close relationship. If, if I could get you to imagine for a minute, there are many reasons for a quality and good marriage on this earth. And I know not every marriage, is, every marriage is flawed. That's just the way it is. But one of the many reasons that God started marriage was so that we could learn close relationship that would one day prepare us for a close relationship. So the idea here is that, watch this, that just because you won't be married or you won't be getting married in the next life, it, listen, it will not detract from the closeness that you have with other people. So if you had a, a husband or a wife or if, if you had children, you will be just as close to them as you were before. Are you getting that picture? But the idea here is that together you will become the bride of Christ. And the perfect marriage that you've always longed for, you will have in Jesus. Perfect marriage that you've always longed for, you will have in Jesus. And that relationship, watch this, that relationship with your husband, all of us listen to that. That's hard for a man to hear, okay? That relationship with our husband. That relationship that you will have with your husband, Jesus, will make every other relationship better. Marriage. Now, what about this one? Work. Work. Stephen, you mean I'm going to have a job in heaven? Yep, you are. Um, now, don't, 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 don't be mad about that because, see, if you don't like your work, it's because, remember, work was to be good. In the very beginning, work was to be good. And the Bible says God works to this very day. His work is good. Jesus said in John 5, 17, that my Father is always at work. And so the, what that will look like, we're not exactly sure, but here's what I want you to know. Work was made to give you purpose and achievement and accomplishment and to help you understand your worth. Work is a good thing when it's done right. Sometimes we get in jobs and we don't like them and we forget what real good work is, you know? But the, the image here is that there will be significant assignments that you will have in this place. You won't be sitting on a cloud playing a harp. You'll be able to do something that will be meaningful and purposeful, and that's really important. And by the way, while we're still talking about this one area of work, what about my coworkers? What about my co-neighbors? What about the other people who are living with me in this great city? What will they be like? I just had to share a quote that C.S. Lewis said this week that made me think about our bodies and our neighbors. C.S. Lewis one time, a great theologian, said this, it is hardly possible to think too often or too deeply about the future glory of your neighbor. The load or the weight or the burden of my neighbor's glory is a load so heavy that only humility can carry it, and the back of the proud will be broken. It is a serious thing to live in a society of possible gods and goddesses to remember that the dullest and the most uninteresting person you can talk to may one day be a creature which you would strongly be tempted to worship. We will be surrounded by people being made perfect in God's glory. And together we will shoulder together, shoulder to shoulder, do wonderful things together in the kingdom of God. Don't know exactly what that will look like. But the Bible says God is working and his work will not stop. And he will give us assignments as well. Well, finally, this new place will be altogether better. Everything will be better about this place. You will be better off by far. You, you will, uh, there will be better people off by far. It was a, it's a better off place for every one of us. 
couple of questions that folks ask. I, want to, I told you three questions every week I just want to address. Somebody wrote this question here. It's a great question. And I, and I would imagine it's a question almost all of us have. Because Jesus said when, I, when, when he returns from the dead, I return from the dead, um, when I return, the dead shall rise first, and then the living will meet me in the sky. If he didn't mean it literally, then when did our loved ones go, and where are they now till Jesus calls us home? So there's two understandings about this, and, and they could be separate, and one could be right and one could be wrong, or they could be blended in a way that we don't even fully understand. One, one idea is that, you've read that scripture, that to be absent in the body is to be present with the Lord. So one idea is that when you die and you pass on from this earth, you are immediately entering into an eternity, an eternity of heaven and resurrection and a new body and all these things we've talked about, or an eternity of damnation and separation from God, because that's what you chose. You didn't want God in your life. And it happens immediately. That's one school of thought. When we read, to be absent in the body is to be present with the Lord. Another school of thought is that when you pass away, when you die, remember Jesus used this terminology, you sleep. In that moment, you sleep. Have you ever slept before and you just woke up and you felt like you two seconds ago? That school of thought is that right now, the dead in Christ are sleeping and they do not know it. And then when the, the second coming of Christ comes, they will awake and it will be like a moment from their passing and they will be present with God. Great question this person has, but at the end of the day, we don't fully know. We don't fully know completely. I tend, I'll tell you as your pastor, I tend to kind of side with that first one because it's a, it's a nice thought. It's a nice thought to know that right now, my father who accepted Christ on his deathbed when he was going through a battle with cancer, right at the end of his life, would have experienced the resurrected Christ just a month or so after he passed from this earth. But you know what? If it's the other way, that's okay too, isn't it? Because he will experience Christ in the blink of an eye, right? We don't know fully, but it's probably one of those schools of thought or maybe a blending of both of those things. And the second question, I think you have to answer the the first one to understand it. Can your loved ones that have passed on see or hear you at any time? Or is that the end of your connection with them until you go to heaven? And again, it's kind of how you answer those two questions, right? So if you answer the first way that to to be absent is to be immediately present, no sleep or anything like that, you are with heaven. The Bible in Hebrews gives a picture of the saints of God cheering us on, telling us, finish the race, watching us, okay? And so it could be that way. And if it is that first way, it could be that way that they're cheering us on. But it also could be not that way, that they are awaiting their redemption just like we are. And that was metaphorical language in the book of Hebrews. We don't know. Probably one or the other. In that situation, not a blending of the two. You have to be in one or the other. Well, final thought. So what is heaven like? <laughs> I have to give you a metaphor because it's, I've been living with it right now. And my metaphor is sitting right over here. This week, Rachel White gets married. Rachel, stand up for me. Where's Cody? Working? Okay. Rachel's going to be marrying Cody this week. Now, Rachel has been looking forward to this day her whole life, right? But can I tell you, this girl's been working really, really hard for this wedding. She has. And a whole bunch of other people. Amen, Johnny and Jeff and others. Uh, Jean. But here's the cool thing. She's done as much preparation as she can. They've been doing premarital counseling with me for eight weeks, and we've been, we've been putting all the pieces together to make their marriage as best it can be. 
But do you know what? She's not there yet. On Friday night, there will be a rehearsal dinner. There will be a gathering of all these people. You've been there. You've done one of those before, right? Oh, I hope everything goes all right. Where's everybody standing? How fast is everybody walking? Are we going to have any funniest home video moments? Is anything going to light on fire? What's going to happen with the music? You know, you're thinking all those things, and you're praying. You're praying. You're praying. And then on Saturday, there'll be a day where the bride walks in. And men, we know what it's like to stand there and see our bride come down the aisle. And they will be married, and they will start a new life. Now, I want you to think about Rachel, because if you get this picture, this last thought I have, you have to understand Rachel. Rachel's excited, and she's nervous. She's so hope-filled, but if there's one thing she's doing right now, I hope above anything else is every minute of every day, she's just praying, God bless us, God bless us, God bless us. She's praying for all this to happen. This morning, Rachel, I love you. I'm excited about being a part of your wedding. It's going to be awesome. This morning, I want to invite you to just spend a few minutes as we close down this series at the altar. You can make an altar right there in your chair. You don't have to make an altar at the front, but something is kind of connected sometimes when we just move with our physical bodies and we bow down and we, we pray in a special holy place. And here's what I wanted to invite you to pray. And I don't even know how to do this, so I'm just going to kind of do it and be quiet, okay, and let God do his thing with you. I just wanted to create a space that I've never done before as a pastor. I've never opened up an altar and said, why don't you just come and pray for your wedding? Why don't you just come and pray for your, that moment when you would, you would receive all of this promise? Because at the end of the day, all that stuff I read and all the things you've imagined, here's the big question. It's God's word for you. Will you receive it? It's your inheritance. Will you receive it by faith? I would like to invite you today just to come to the altar and pray for your wedding day. And by the way, if you don't know Jesus Christ, listen, what you've heard today, even only so shortly, is that if you reject him here in this life, he is a gentleman. He will not make you love him in the next. He will give you what you want and He will allow that rejection in the next life into a place of punishment and separation. You don't want that. Today, all you have to do is do what I did when I was 11 years old. I said, the best I know how today, God, I open up my heart. Come inside of me and live inside of me. And if children can do it, anybody can do it. All you have to do is receive Him. I like why eyes wide open prayers. So I'm going to lead you in an eyes wide open prayer, and then I'm going to open up the altar. And I'll invite you just to come and talk to Jesus, okay? Father, thank you for the rich inheritance that we read about in Revelation chapter 21 and 22. And you did not take us like you did the Apostle John up into that place and give us the tour. But today we thank you for the word we read. And we thank you for all that you have preparing since the foundation of the world. Today as we meet with you, Give us the assurance and help us to pray with whole and earnest hearts for that day where we will know you like we've never known you before and we would receive all the inheritance you promised us. I want to invite you to come talk with Jesus, all right? And if you have a need that's beyond the, the, the need of just this praying for your wedding day and praying for heaven, bring that to God. Just talk with him for a few minutes. Our altar's open and then we'll leave with a worship song, all right? Come for the altar's open.
splendor of the King, cold majesty, let all the earth rejoice, all the earth rejoice, he wraps himself in light, and darkness tries to hide. 